Well, let's keep it simple. When you have trouble, take your trouble to Jesus, because He's really the only one that can help you. This week, um, Dorothy West went to be with the Lord. Uh, Many of her family are here today. She's a cousin of uh, Craig Wallace's family. And they were very, very grateful. wanted me to express to you their gratefulness that the funeral and the dinner could be here uh, at Evangel. And they wanted me to make sure that you uh, encourage them as uh, they very beautifully gathered around her, said their goodbyes to her, and they were confident of where she was going because she had put her faith and her trust in the Lord. And uh, if you have a burden today, you have a heartache today, you have a problem today, feel guilty, feel ashamed, feel frustrated, feel confused, our, our message here is really, really simple. Take that to Jesus. He's the only one who can help you. He's the only one who can help you. No man can help you. No church really can help you. Jesus Christ can help you. And he died for the church. We love the church. But you bring it to Jesus. And that's what happens in this story today that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 15. I have four sons, four daughters. Lois and I, I say I, we actually didn't do that alone. We have four, four sons and four daughters. Uh, the, the oldest son's away, so he's, he's grown. And so we have three home. Now, I want you just to imagine something with me, okay? The three boys that we have at home, they're like men. They're not boys. They're men. They're, they're strapping, strong. And they, 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 um, they leap tall buildings, single bound, you know, so forth. Um, not really, but... So I want, we have a very small lawn. We have four, th- three big grown-up adult boys at home and a very small lawn. Okay, so it's not a big deal to, to mow the lawn and, and, and trim the lawn and, and edge, the, edge the lawn. It's just not a big deal, right? And we have modern machinery to do this. It's not like you put them out there on a rope and they have to gnaw the grass, right? I mean, they, they could just mow it with the lawn mower. I mean, it has gasoline. You pull it, one tug. Actually, my wife normally does it. So even girls can do this, you know. I did it a couple of times myself because the neighbors were watching, you know, and that's why. But anyway, so I want you to imagine with me that I just say to my boys, hey guys, um, me and your mom are going to go on a little bit of a date. We're going to be gone. And, you know, if you don't mind, it'd be kind of cool to come home and the lawn would be all mowed and trimmed and edged. How would that be? And then, of course, they would just say to me, sure, Dad, no problem. Because, I mean, they're strapping young men that, you know, they're Leave tall, building single bound. And uh, imagine now that we get home. After our nice date, and I'm just imagining while we're having our nice dinner and everything, when we get home, Lois is going to be so happy that the lawn is mowed and trimmed and edged and, and, and it's just going to be taken care of. But imagine that when we get home, the, the grass hasn't been touched. And, and there's no edging that's happened. And, 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 and the weeds haven't been whipped. There's no trimming at all. And when I get no, no dinner, you think, right? That's, that's a thought, yeah. So I come home and I'm like, okay, guys, well, you know, I'm a reasonable man, so well, what's up? And they're like sitting out back. They're on the patio, they're drinking tall glasses of lemonade, and they're saying, Dad, we've been looking forward to you coming home. We love you so much. We love you so much. And hey, hey, and, and I go, what about, you know, when I left, you remember what I, oh, yeah, remember, sure, we remember everything. Matter of fact, Dad, you know what we were doing? We were just having some lemonade, and we were sitting out back here, and we were memorizing what you said. Because, I mean, we just thought the way you said it was so cool, you know. Could you mow the lawn and then trim it and then edge it? And then we memorized that. And we're just, we've been, like, sitting back here together, and we got it written down, and, and we, we, we memorized it. And then after we memorized it, 
we decided that we would go and get the mower out and polish it real nice so it would be all shiny and we'd change the oil and everything. And I'm like, but you didn't mow the lawn. They're like, no, but we memorized what you said. And how do you think that story sounds stupid? Go ahead, you can tell me that's a dumb story, yeah? Yeah, that's dumb, that's crazy. I mean, if your dad who loves you gives you a command, he gives you an order and he says, this is what I expect, and he's a reasonable, wonderful man, you know, and he doesn't expect that much of you, he does not want you to memorize the command. He does not want you to think about the command, memorize the command, and prepare all the stuff to do the command, but not do the command. Now, Jesus, he gave directions to those that he loved. And he was the most reasonable being ever. He, gave, he was a teacher. He was the consummate teacher. You remember the story last week? It was Mother's Day. Let me refresh your memory. And there was this woman that came to Jesus. She was a Gentile, not a Jew. And you remember all the roadblocks that she had to overcome and that Jesus eventually gave her her heart's desire because she had a daughter who was severely demon-possessed. And, and, he, and he cast a demon out of the daughter like remote control. And then she went home and found her daughter lying quietly on the bed. Remember that? That was a story from last week. If you missed it, listen to the podcast. It's a very cool story. Or read it in your Bible right in there in Matthew chapter 15. But here's the interesting thing. Now, he went away to a place called the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this was a long way away. Remember, it was up by the Mediterranean. It was up in a higher elevation. It was probably cooler. It was probably a great place to get away. They probably borrowed this house where they stayed. And the woman that came, why did Jesus do this? I will tell you why I believe that Jesus did this. Because he cares about women who have big problems that they can't overcome. That would be like the main reason. He cares about people who have kids that are troubled. He cares about people who are sad. He cares about women who have been mistreated. Jesus does. He's the member, ladies. He's the man, the only one who will never, never let you down. And that's coming from a man. I'm just saying. He's the only one who will ever let you down. And if any man in your life ever does you good, it will be because Jesus inspired that in him. So Jesus cared about that. But there was another reason. It is kind of subtle, and but it's really clear when you study it. Jesus was taking his disciples away for a couple of reasons. One reason was because he wanted to get away and because he wanted to rest. That was his humanness. He was God and man and is God and man today. And so he wanted to get away and rest. He wanted to be in a beautiful place because he liked beautiful places. He wanted to have some rest and refreshment and quiet. But he also wanted to create a really special teaching experience for his disciples. And so they were watching while he was intentionally, kind of almost tongue-in-cheek, throwing these obstacles out in front of the way of this lady. And they're like, you know, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You're a Gentile. Remember that obstacle? At first he doesn't say anything to her at all. Then, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You're a Gentile. And then he uses this little quit, this little uh, riddle where he says, is it right for me to give the food for the children to the dogs? And then remember what she says? She says, the little dogs can have crumbs off the table, and he heals the daughter. Now, what happens with the disciples when that's going on? He's teaching them. They're learning. That was one of the main reasons he was doing what he was doing. He's like, okay, guys, did you catch anything? Did you guys pick up on anything here? Here's it. And and remember what Jesus says to her? Oh, woman. What's he say to her? Remember this? It's like, Oh, you're supposed to have this memorized. You had a week to memorize this. Come on. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, woman, great is your faith. And he's like, get it? Get it, guys? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Like, he was a woman. She was a Gentile woman. 
<laughs> she was a Gentile woman with, a, with obviously some problems. So you don't get demon-possessed problems in le- children unless you have problems in your house, right? I mean, somebody watched the wrong television programs there or something, right? Your kid is demon-possessed, so like, we're not going like, to put you on Oprah and go, well, let's interview you about how to raise kids, because your kid's demon-possessed, for pity's sake. <laughs> the disciples are going, but she got into graduate school of faith because she believed that Jesus would heal her daughter, and he did. So he's saying to them, he's teaching them, he's saying, are you guys learning anything? Even a Gentile outcast with a demon-possessed daughter can have genuine faith that's real and big. Do you see that? He's te- His disciples are going to need to know this. That's audience. There's three audiences I want to talk about. That's audience number one. There's another audience, because where do we read the story? It's in the Bible, in the book of Matthew. And so there was the author, Matthew, and the original audience that he was writing to. So they were generally, this scholars generally believe that Matthew was written especially to a Jewish audience. So this is interesting. Now here are these Jewish people that go, we are the chosen people. And if you're not Jewish, you're a dog, you know. Many of them did. They had this prejudice against Gentiles. They had, you know, prejudice is bad. Religious prejudice is really bad. It's like, I hate people, and God does too. You know, it's like, that's not good. If you ever had a little experience with religious prejudice, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't like you because you eat different food than I do. Your skin color is different, and I think God is on my side. That's kind of dangerous people, right? He didn't want his disciples with this attitude, and so he's teaching them. Matthew, as a follower of Jesus who writes the book about who Jesus is and his audience, he wants to get that religious prejudice out of their system too because they are supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They're supposed to take the message of Jesus and go to the Gentiles. There's a third audience that I want you to think about, and it's us. Because God in His providence knew that down through the ages of time that you and I would sit here today with a Bible in our lap and we would read this story and this is supposed to mean something to us. So what does this mean to us? We'll just go beyond here now and read a bit more of the story in Matthew chapter 15. And I want you to notice what happens. Jesus leaves Tyre and Sidon. So this is like modern Lebanon up in the mountains. And he goes east now. And he goes north of the Sea of Galilee. And he crosses the Jordan. And he goes into this region down the coastline, the east coast of the Sea of Galilee. You've got to understand what's going on here. He just crossed the tracks. He just went to the other side of the tracks. He just crossed the state line. He's not with the primarily Jewish people. He's in, according to Mark, he's going now over to the region of the Decapolis, the ten cities. It's a very Hellenistic, very pagan, very kind of modernistic bunch of people that live here. And what he's going to do over here is he crosses the Jordan, he goes there, and what he's going to do is kind of interesting because the next story that we're not going to get to today is another story of the feeding of thousands. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, didn't we just do a story of the feeding of the thousands? Was the guy stuttering or what happened? Or was there some kind of an error in the transmission of the ancient text and they put two stories that kind of stuttered? Oh, no, no, no. This is the Bible we're talking about here. There are no mistakes here. This is very, very planned. 
Because what you have now is you have Jesus in the, the three cities that they call the Evangelical Triangle in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. He's done most of his ministry there, and it's primarily Jewish, and he's healing thousands of people, and he's raising the dead, and he's cleansing the lepers, and he's teaching there, and he's feeding multitudes that came from there. But now he's gone to Gentiles, and he's got this little story about the woman who was a Gentile, and her daughter was delivered. And now he's going over to the Decapolis, which is like, what in the world are you doing? What is a good Jewish boy doing over there? What are you going to do over there? I I know what you're going to do. You're going to tell those bad people how bad they are. That's what you're going to do over there. That's what he does, right? He just brings a message of, of unadulterated condemnation because they're pagans after all. Right? Wrong. He does the same thing he did with the Jewish people. He starts healing people and love it. And they're like, he's here. So he, he goes down the shoreline, the, the, the east shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Then he goes up into a mountain. And, and everybody's like, he's here. Jesus is here. Remember the guy, the Casademon? There was a missionary left over there. Do you remember who he was? The maniac of Gadara, we called him. Remember, he got the demons cast out of him. And then, he, and then Jesus says, I want you to stay here. He says, can I go with you? Jesus says, I want you to stay here. Why did he do that? Because he says, I'm coming back, and I expect you to have some converts when I get here. I'm, that's my sanctified imagination. Okay? And so he leaves him there to testify. He did say, I want you to tell the great things I've done for you. Is I want you to be a mission. I want you to talk about what happened to you. So he does. Jesus comes. And what happens now? The people bring him multitudes of people who are broken up, messed up, outcast people. These are pagans. Many of them are the Greeks or Greek-influenced people. These are people in the cities of the Decapolis. They're people that, gen- that Jewish people aren't supposed to touch. They're unclean. They call them dogs. Jesus goes right in there. And what does He do for them? He does the same thing for them that He had done over here. He starts healing people. They bring them. And here's the beautiful thing. They bring these people who are blind and who are lame and who are sick. And they, the, the, they, the Bible doesn't say here in Matthew that, that the sick people came to Jesus. It says that they were brought to Jesus. Kind of that's a little interesting subtlety that's in there. Keep that in mind. They were brought to Jesus. And then there's this beautiful little piece of poetry that's in there. And they were put at his feet. They were put at the feet of Jesus. So here are these broken, messed up people. On top of being outcasts to Jewish people, pagans worshiping the wrong God, not worshiping the right God, at the very least. They're also broken, messed up people that either can't see, and and the poverty and welfare program's absent. These are people in destitute trouble. And they, they have friends who say, we don't know what to do. We will take you to Jesus. We hear, he says, they bring them to Jesus and put them at his feet. And what does he do? Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain, sat down, then, great, and the other piece, the geography, we got that out of Mark chapter 7 because it's a parallel account. It's not here. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet. That's awesome, isn't it? Got any poets in the house? Does that, like, stir anything in you? They took their trouble, kept it really simple we got trouble we don't know what to do with. Jesus is in the house. We're going to take our trouble. We're going to put it at his feet. See what happens. That's still good advice, people. That's what happens. And Jesus healed them. And then what happened? 
One of the reasons we know this is not a Jewish multitude is because of the feeding of the 4,000 that follows. It's got all kinds of Gentile stuff connected with it. The feeding of the 5,000 before has all kinds of Jewish stuff connected with it. But we get to that later. But another reason we know is because of what happened in verse 31 where it says, So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and the maimed made whole and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of... You get it? It's like that God of Israel, we're going to glorify Him. They glorified the God of Israel. They didn't say they glorified their God. It's like they glorified the God of Israel. This is one of the reasons that we know that, that, little, that little hunch that we have that this is particularly Gentile. We know that is true. So here, in other words, what I'm saying here is, it, it, what we want to see is that Jesus goes to people who are outcasts, who don't have the religion quite right, who have all kinds of problems that nobody else can solve. He encourages this bringing these kind of people to Him. This is who Jesus is. So don't let me tell you about a Jesus that's different than that. The Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus who goes to people who are different than He is. And He goes to places a long way away from where He's comfortable and where He grew up. He's a missionary Jesus. He came down from heaven to earth. And He went from His hometown to other people that are different than Him, who were broken, who were outcasts, who were a little weird, who were a little different. People that others didn't want to get close to. People that others didn't want to touch. So here's the point I think that might be helpful for you to process and to think about, for all of us to think about this morning. And that is, okay, how many of you would say like the guys in the battery this morning, I'm in, I'm on, I'm a follower of Jesus, count me in. I want to follow Jesus. I admire Jesus, I want to follow you. How many would say, that's me, I'm a follower of Jesus. How many would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. How many times do I have to say this? How many of you here today would say, count me in, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I admire Jesus. I'll go where He wants me to go. I'll do what He wants me to do. I'll say what He wants me to say i admire jesus i love jesus i depend on jesus anybody here agree with me on that today yes i thought so i knew i knew i was among friends so listen wherever he goes and whatever he does if you're going to follow him you got to go with him and you got to do what he does you just can't memorize it (laughs) you just can't say oh i know that story yeah but you didn't trim the lawn yet you know what? I, I, my Jesus, I love Him because He's a missionary God. He came down from heaven for sinners like me. He's still doing that. Are you going with Him or you just memorize that? Is that something that you have in your brain? See, you're not a disciple if your brain is just full of, like if you have a file full of truth that doesn't make you a disciple. A disciple is an apprentice. It's like, let's go. Show me how to do this. Do I get to do this? When do I get to do this? A disciple is an apprentice. A follower of Jesus is a disciple, is an apprentice. If you're not a disciple, if you're not an apprentice, if you're not doing what he trained you to do, then you're just like the boys in my proverbial story, which you know never really happened. I made it up. Are sitting in the backyard polishing the mower and memorizing their father's command. We're nothing better than that. We're nothing different than that. Nothing at all. That's interesting, isn't it? I uh, got some suggestions today that might be helpful. How do we do this? And the real answer to this is, I don't know. You ask Jesus, he'll tell you. That's the real, the real answer. It's going to be so unique. You know? How do you obey? If, okay, so in other words, here's the big idea of my message. And I'll say it again later in case you, in case you missed it. Here's the big idea. 
Jesus goes to broken outcasts, and he helps them with their trouble. This, there's something more he did in this region. It doesn't say so in Matthew. He's there for three days. What do you think Jesus did for three days? I don't know. Let your imagination run wild. What did normally Jesus do? Was Jesus, did Jesus come into the world to heal people? Careful. Jesus says, I came to the world to do what? Is save sinners. He came to save sinners. Incidentally, when he finds sinners that are broken, he heals them. When he finds families that are messed up, he helps them. When he finds hearts that are lonely, he ministers to them. When he finds people that can't see, sometimes he chooses to heal them. His program today, though, is bigger than just making your life more comfortable. His program today is making your eternal eternity secure. His program is to, he came to die, and when he rose again, he commissioned his apprentices, his followers, his doer people, to go and to do whatever he commanded them to do, go into all the world and make other apprentices, other disciples, other people who do what I do. So he went to a place where people were different, full of broken outcasts, and he healed them, and I believe he taught them. Because that's what he was always doing. He sincerely loved people when they had problems, but he always made the truth clear to them. That's what he was here to do. Then he died and was buried, and he rose again. Now, see, get this in here. This is real simple. What's the message? What's the basic message of the Bible? Here's how a lot of people look at this book, the Bible. We all kind of have a sense of reverence for the Bible. This is the way most people look at it. In the world, they go, that's your holy book, right? You know, you're, this is the holy book of Christians and Jews. You know, it's like, oh, that's the book. And it has their rules in it. This is what they're supposed to do and not do. Right? It's like the Harvey Pennick book for Christian people. You know who Harvey Pennick is, so I lost you if you're not a golfer there. Yeah, it's your basic rule book. It's your manual. It's what you do and what you don't do. That's the way a lot of people look at the Bible, right? I'm going to enlighten you in case you don't know. That's not why we have the Bible. The Bible is God's great overarching meta-narrative of redemption. It's the story that Jesus came into this world to rescue people who could never rescue themselves, who couldn't even start to keep the rules. If this is a rule book, we're all toast. There's enough law in here to drive us to Calvary. There's enough law in here to... I talked to men yesterday, and one of the things they wanted me to talk about was pornography. Can I tell you something humorous, kind of? My wife and I are lying in bed. <laughs> so, she, this is, I, I want you to know I don't have Lois's permission to tell this story. Okay, so you know. Yeah, I just don't. Because then she's like, oh, no. But I must. I must. We're lying in bed. I'm getting ready to go the next day. She's got pictures to take. I'm going to go speak to guys about, you know, overcoming sin, and including... Uh, thought life, you have problems. You know? And so she says, what are you going to, uh, you're the main speaker? I'm like, yeah. And she says, I hope you don't get struck by lightning. <laughs> and I'm like, I know exactly what you mean. Now why is that? Why am I saying that? I'm laughing. This is my uncomfortable laugh. It's not that I think it's funny. Every once in a while I laugh when I feel uncomfortable. This is it. Why is that? It's because I know what it's like to disappoint my wife, to dishonor my Lord, to, have, to entertain thoughts in my mind that are not right. I know what that's like. I know the shame of that. I know the guilt of that. I hope I haven't disappointed anybody here today. But we're not here to exalt me anyway. We're here to exalt the one who died for sinners. I also know what it's like to have an extended measure of victory in my life. 
And so that's the first thing I said to the guys. I said, I must talk to you first about what my wife said to me because I don't want to get struck by lightning today. And what do you have? What do you do if your boy, you find like pornography between the mattress of your boy, he's got like something printed out there. And you, it's like, you know, if you took your son to the hardware, let's say that your son's 14 years old, and you decide you're going to take him to the hardware on a Saturday morning and you're going to give him the, go- you're going to talk to him about the gospel. That'd be a good idea, right? So you go, hey, let's go get some hardware, you know. So the kid gets in the car and you say to him, I'm going to tell you the gospel today. And the kid, if he's a really bright kid, he's going to go, great, I love to hear the gospel. But if he's the average kid, he's going to say, okay, you know, whatever makes you happy, you know. So the dad, you know, you just give the basics of the gospel, which is a wonderful story. Yeah, yeah. So the kid's like, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. And you're like, okay, let's have lunch. Okay, now, rewind the tape. 14-year-old kid, pornography between the mattress and the box springs. And you, you take it out, and you go, how do you feel about this? The kid's like, his lip starts to tremble, you know. And he's like, I feel bad about it. Somehow, when I was looking at that, I knew it wasn't right. Like every kid. And his dad says, let's go to the hardware, buddy, because it's a story I want to tell you. You're going to find in your life that a lot of times you're going to do things that you know are wrong. And you're going to have this thing going on inside you you don't understand. God, in his heaven, sent his perfect son, Jesus, who never looked at pornography. He never looked wrong at a woman. He never said something wrong. He never said the first dirty word. He never told the first dirty story. He's perfectly holy. He came down from heaven to die for your sins like this one that you feel so bad about. And what He wants you to do is He wants you to take your sin to Him and He will give you His righteousness and He will take your sin on Him. Folks, that's the message of the Bible cover to cover. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of God's marvelous grace. And if there are laws that are in the Bible, the intent of the law is to drive us to grace, to Calvary, to Christ. And so if you're sinful enough, then maybe you'll be hungry to hear the Gospel. Maybe you need a little reminder. Maybe you've been spending too much time looking at other people's sins. How do, you, how do we do this? Well, how do we help other people get this truth? And i got to quit, so let me just go really super fast. I'm going to go into super fast mode, so now you have to listen really fast. Okay, Here, There's a lot of ways. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. You're unique. You have your unique opportunities. Just do what He says. Let me make some quick suggestions for you, because a lot of you like practical steps. And this is a take it or leave it kind of thing. Do this your own way. But here's some suggestions real quick. One, pray for each one in your growing circle of influence. If you're a Christian, you want a growing circle of influence, including people that live on the other side of the tracks. Matter of fact, sometimes the people that live on the other side of the tracks are the most willing to be open to you loving on them. You can't find somebody to love on? Are you serious? You can't find somebody who's lonely? You can't find somebody who wants to tell you their story? Have you been living in a cave? If you want to go to like some fancy country club where all the people are cool, then maybe you have tr- trouble finding people who want to admit they have needs. But if you live in a downriver, you just like walk around and, and just, just hang out a little bit and just kind of don't walk so fast, people are going to start telling you their stories. And this, I'll tell you something about people who live around here. They've been hurt a lot. They've got all kinds of difficulties. It's almost like they're blind and they're lame and they're maimed and they're guilty and they have problems. You just take them, lay them at Jesus' feet. So get a circle of influence 
influence, the people that you know, and build the circle of influence based on who you are. Like, be who you are. That means if you like golf, there might be some other golfers that need the Lord. And I can go into detail, but not today. Keep coming back. And then love them. So you're not, so it, it might look like this. Like, you might have a little list of people, just people that you care about in your heart. Or maybe like written down on a piece of paper in your flyleaf of your Bible, but there's a kind of list in your heart of people who, who still have, like Jason said today in his video, God was tugging on his heart. And I know from talking with Jason over the months, this tugging started when he was just a little boy in church, in a Catholic church growing up. He had this tug on his heart. There's something to this thing about God. There's something, and, he, and so he just keeps feeling this tug. And it's like, there are people out there who got that tugging on their hearts. Love those people. Invest in them. Invite them. Natalie, the servant, invited Adrian and Jason to our church. Very simple. They came. They met all of you. They heard a gospel. They got loved on. Pretty exciting day, huh? Big day today for, for Jason and Adrian. Big day. And I couldn't help but think when Jason told me how he came to the Lord, you know, I had been working with him and talking with him and stuff, but I wasn't there when he was born again. You know, I wasn't like the midwife going, okay, come on, buddy, here we go, here we go. Yes, born again! <laughs> kind of a gross picture, I'm sorry. I wasn't there. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. You know, it wasn't like back in my side. I'm like, okay, here's the words you say now. I thought it was just poetically wonderful when he actually told me where he was and what happened. Did you catch it? He was in the balcony. Does that ring a bell with anybody here? We've been praying for people in the balcony. Now, if you're on the regular floor, you're special to us. Don't misunderstand. But God led these people to build a balcony. He's up there. He's hearing this wonderful song, and God tugs him across the line so that he knows that he has. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So listen to people and love them, and some of them will respond to an invitation to church. Some of them are totally not ready to go to church, but they're ready to go to barbecue. Barbecue always gets in all of my messages somewhere. And then explain the gospel to them, or if you're not really good at it, get good at it, or invite them to hear the gospel. And you might be sitting here today and you're going, okay, what is this? It's like you're speaking Greek. Um, Okay, then, this is where you come in. Ask me to buy you coffee and explain the gospel to you. And I will cancel my other appointments and I'll move you to the front of the list. All right, or there are a bunch of people here who would do that. All right, like matter of fact, this let's have some fun. Men and ladies that would love to sit down and explain to other people how to know that you're right with God. Raise your hand right now. Come on, raise it and leave it up. Come on, I know that's I know that. See, there's a lot. Look around. There's a lot of people, and there's a lot of others that would too. And I just kind of put them on the spot. They're feeling a little bit shy. But if you couldn't raise your hand, then let us coach you in that. And so pray for each one. So think about that. You got a circle of influence, people that you know and you love. It's like the phallets, they didn't have to look far for their circle of influence. He's like on their pew. That's right, Mike. It's their boy. And so as they get hungry for God, and as they begin to really live for God and walk with God and love God, after a while, what happens? Holy Spirit starts talking on Mike Jr., and now he has followed Lord in baptism. And their circle of influence was very, that was, he was really close in their circle of influence. And sometimes, they, sometimes it's like little Ethan. He's just right there. Circle for a mom, circle of influence. That, that's right there. And then explain or invite. And then, and then get a team. Build a team to do it together because we're all gifted in a different way. And so here's, here's, here's the deal. Jesus went out of his way for broken outcasts. And if we're really followers of Jesus, you got this, right? If we're really followers of Jesus, if we're really disciples, we go where he goes and we do what he does. And when we do that, it gets exciting. 
Uh, every once in a while, I get, heard a guy uh, preaching. He, he was a young guy, and the first time you hear him preach, you think he, he wasn't all that polished. But then as you listen to him, you think, whoa, this, this young guy has a profound gift from God. And he said this. Here's what he said. And I was just listening to him, and, and he was just kind of crazy kid preaching. And, and he just said this. He said, some of you don't think I'm very deep. I remember him saying this. Some of you don't. His name's Chris. He said, some of you don't think I'm very deep, he said. And he said, don't come tell me I'm not deep. Last week I told you to love Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you haven't done that yet. So don't come and tell me I'm not deep. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I'm like, before we say, you know, what was the Keith Reese song that was playing? When we came in here, it's like, how can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? <laughs> it's like, you got it memorized. That you just need to do it more, amen? So may God stir us up. People that have the privilege of this knowledge and this understanding and the gospel that stir us up to not just memorize it and polish the mower, but go get them. People that are broken and people that are lost and people that are far from God and people that hurt and people that long to tell you their story. They're everywhere. You look, last night I, I preached all day yesterday. Coming back through, I decided I heard a church that had a service on Saturday night. Can't get enough church, you know. So I go to this church and I like going to a church when nobody knows I'm a pastor. You kind of sneak in and look like you're not, although you look like a pastor wherever you go, right? So I sneak in, I sit in the back row. And uh, I go in and out, and so I'm, I'm there early, and the, the band is, is practicing, and, and um, listen, I'm sitting in the back, back row enjoying the, the music and thinking about that, and in comes this elderly lady. Elderly now is anybody that's a couple years older than I am, and here comes this elderly lady, older lady, white hair, and she, and of all there's like hundreds of places to sit, she picks my row, and so she comes in past me and leaves maybe one uh, seat and sits right there. And I struck up a conversation with her, um, and she told me about her church. You know, she said, I didn't know God. I was far from God. I had problems in my life. My husband left me. He mistreated me. Um, <laughs> she said, somebody invited me to come here, and the pastor made the Bible really clear to me, and I just love it here. I got baptized, and I invite my friends to come here. And pretty soon this other older lady comes in, and she <laughs> sitting here and she looks and she goes pointing at the other girl she goes you <laughs> you have a different man every week and I'm like I'm not I'm like we, I don't even know the lady I'm like I don't even know her you know I'm like oh wow this is embarrassing you know this is not how you make guests feel welcome I'm like smile you know and the lady goes honey what's your name and I tell her and she's talking to me like very friendly lady very 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 friendly and then she goes, well, I don't sit back here. I sit up front. I sit right up in front, you know, because I like the music. I get right up in front. But let me just tell you how glad I am here. And she reaches over and takes my face like this, and she, like, kisses my cheek. I'm like, thank you. Whew, this is a friendly church. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow. I'm on the expressive guy, but this is, these people are, you know, they're, they're, she was being real sweet. She was being real kind. They didn't do anything wrong. That was her heart. You can tell, you know, some people, they can get away with that kind of thing. And, and didn't mean anything bad. She's just a really kind lady. She loved her church. And uh, just from the things that she told me, these two ladies I talked to had a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness, a lot of sadness in their life. 
before they knew, knew the Lord. And then I'm just sitting here, and pretty soon I, I, I see somebody come up in a, a woman, another woman, and she's in a wheelchair, and she pulls up beside me in a wheelchair, and she's just kind of really kind of slumped into this wheelchair, like she's way over to the side, and she can't move. She's really messed up physically, you know, just way over like in this wheelchair like that. And she's really close to me, and I felt, you know, like social uncomfortable, like, you know, and, but she goes, can you help me? I'm like, yeah. Can you hand me this? And I hand her that. And she's pretty, after a while, she's, she moved kind of a little bit forward. And after a while, she said, can you, can you plug me in? I need, need somebody to plug me in. And she, then she says to me kind of apologetically, when you plug me in, I have to sit, you know, I have to sit right here. So, I, I, you know, I wanted to give her some space because, you know, I was really, really close to her. But I didn't want to move away because I didn't want her to think I didn't care about her and love her. And so I thought, I'm going to stay right here. And so here I am now with these women, you know. And this one in a wheelchair right here, and, and, a, and a lady's right there. And, and then I, when I got done with church, I was just thinking about us. And I was thinking about all the people around here who just been so beat up. And the last place they're going to look is church, because they look at church as people with the big rule book. And the devil wants them to think of us like that. We've got to be the people with a tear in the corner of our eye that are eager to listen, help them untangle the knots of all the guilt and shame they have from their past. The ones who are good at telling them about a man who would go on to the other side of the lake where the religious people didn't live, and he would heal them and he would feed them just the same. Amen? Let's be that people. Would you stand with me? We have a couple things to do before we go home today. And um, Joan Jubinville, let's make this very practical. Let's tell the people some specific ways that they can do this. She's going to come, and she's going to have a word. We've asked her to come, if she would, and just have a word. Tell you a little bit of something practical you could do to serve the Lord, should you choose to do it, and then we'll close in prayer. Good morning.